I love Karen's story. I've got a really bad habit because I actually uh, do a lot of work with couples in marriage and things like that, that when someone's speaking at looking at their spouse instead of them because that's where you get the true reflection of what's going on. So I was watching Simon <laughs> as Karen was sharing and it was delightful that he was going, yes, yes, yes. It was great. <laughs> it was a more gentle nod. I might have encouraged it a little bit. Hey, um, we've, uh, we've been seeing God do some good things amongst us, and, and that's tremendous. Um, uh, last week, I, I gave an opportunity for people to stand up and uh, to share about what God had said to them through the breakthrough sessions, which we held a couple of weeks ago. And of course, what happens is people come to you afterwards and not want to share on a Sunday. So, you know, last week someone came up to me and said, I, I, I didn't want to get up and share it, but um, that, that during that time uh, of, of just being with God and with His Spirit, I was able to let go of something that I've been holding on to a long time. And, and just to see someone step into that freedom is a great blessing and, and it's great. We had uh, someone who had uh, dreams uh, from God since that weekend and those dreams have been coming true. And so that's really exciting as well. And so God is doing uh, lots of things amongst us. And I want to encourage you just to continue to open yourself up to what God has for you and how God is speaking to you. Well, we're in 1 Timothy 5. We're at three-quarter time at the football and we're not going to talk anything more about football (laughs) whatsoever because it doesn't matter who you barrack for. It was a shocking weekend. Um. And so we're in chapter, chapter 5, and chapter 5 is quite a long chapter, so I've broken it up for a little bit, but I really want to focus on this whole understanding of family. Now, like you, I, I love my family. I've been married to Kelly for 29 years now, nearly 30 in about six months' time, which is really exciting. Uh, I'm sure we will do something to celebrate it that she'll organise. And... Um, <laughs> Go with your strengths, that's right. Got two beautiful kids who are both married now and, uh, and all of them are in ministry of some kind or another and that, that's fantastic. Got one little grandson who, other than your children and your grandchildren, is the cutest kid you'll ever see. I know that your kid's cuter and that's fine and your grandchild is cuter and that's your right. But besides that, he's the cutest kid that you'll ever see. In fact, Tim's going to be bringing the message tonight, so I'm looking forward to uh, coming along and hearing him. Uh, he, he, uh, while he's a chip off the old block, he's totally different in the way that he uh, approaches the word, and so that's going to be a delightful to come and see him. And it's not like my family's been perfect all the way through. We've had our ups and downs, like your family has had its ups and downs, its trials, its tribulations. But as I've got, now that I'm a grandparent, and I can say that and not feel a twinge of, I'm only 51, I shouldn't be a grandparent. And I've let that go now, thank you, Jesus. Uh, now that, um, that I can look back and, and, and see that, that families are very, very unique within the life of our society. And, um, and as um, Kelly and I have grown together, as we've grown up with our kids, what, what we see is that um, 
what Kelly and I bring into our relationship has flown down to our children. The good and the bad has flown down. That there are some aspects of the way that Kelly was brought up uh, that has made its way into my children and probably into my grandchildren. There is ways that I was brought up that has flowed down and some of them are fantastic and amazing and some of them are destructive and horrible. And that would be the same for you. What's come down from you, from your parents or your grandparents. You see, God has made families to be a vehicle of blessing for the generations. So it's, it's designed that that when we are healthy as families, that everything that is good will flow down to our children. Our sense of humour, hopefully that's good and that passes down. You know, our character traits that are godly and good will all be passed down. And we see this in the Old Testament and, and when God calls a family of Abraham and Sarai, or Abram and Sarai, to leave their home and to become the family of God. And you'll see that through that, that God will um, put a blessing upon Abraham and then Abraham will put a blessing upon Isaac and Isaac will put a blessing upon Jacob and then Jacob will uh, disperse the blessing to his 12 sons. We see this concept of blessing being passed down from one generation to another. And when a family is healthy and secure, it, it, it breeds beautiful people. It, it is an amazing thing to see a family. Now, you won't see it in mine, but I'll probably see it in yours, that when a, when a family is healthy, when it works through its issues, when it, when it prays together, when it seeks God's together, that there, there is a security and a love and a flourishing that just happens. And it's beautiful, and that's God's intent for family. It's God's intent for your family and for mine. That it be healthy, that it be secure, and that blessing would flow down through it. But the reality is, is that we live in a broken world where that blessing doesn't always flow down, and, and negative things flow down, and abuse flows, flows down through the family brokenness flows down and, and if I had my time again and I had the wisdom that I had at 50 I now have at 51 when I was 25 I'd do things so much different as I held my baby son in my hands but I don't and I didn't and as God has continued to work in Kelly and I there are times that I've had to go back to my son and this happened and my son and my daughter, this happened just a couple of weeks ago where I, 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 I sat them both down and said, look, God's just been pressing on my heart that I was trying to live my insecurities out through you in this particular area. And, and I, I just want to come and as your dad say, sorry. Because I've just had a revelation as that's what I was trying to do. And what has flowed down from me has not been a blessing, but has been my insecurity, has been my dysfunction, has been my brokenness. And that's not God's intent 
and I can't fix what I did when you were a teenager and you are a little snot? My kids were little snots. That's about as nice as I can put it. But I can deal with what I need to deal with now as God reveals it to me now. And so we have this concept of family that is designed for blessing, for passing on the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the abundance of God to, uh, to the next generation and the next generation. But we also see that that vehicle of blessing can be corrupted into a vehicle of cursing. And, and the Old Testament goes on and says, you know, those who are faithful in the Lord, the Lord will bless for generations and generations and those who, who work against God will be cursed for up to four generations. There's this concept within scripture that we don't like to talk about much because it makes us self-examine a little bit. But it highlights to me the importance that God has on families. That it's his vehicle to see the next generations blessed. It's his vehicles to see um, his fruitfulness at work. In fact, he, he even tries to protect it. When you look at the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, it has a couple of commandments in there, at least two out of the ten, that are focused on protecting families. One is, honour your mother and father. And the other one is, don't commit adultery. They're designed to protect the family unit, to, to protect its its integrity, and God, because God sees that it's important. And it's not just important in a, in a physical sense, in a common grace kind of sense. Common grace is a grace that God gives to everyone, and he gives family to everyone. But it also points to who he is and what his character is like when it is working properly. We see lots of references in Scripture that marriage is seen as Christ's relationship with the church. That a man and a female will come together and become one in body and spirit and that is like Christ and the church coming together and becoming one in body and in spirit. The whole concept of parenthood is is designed to show us a relationship between God and, and us. I learned more about God when I held my son in my hands for the first time than I had in all the years beforehand. Uh, I understood the, the whole concept of sacrificial love. The whole concept of, uh, I, I don't care boy, what you do in your life, you are mine and I'm going to love you. And I knew it there, but when I held my, my son and my daughter in my hands, I, I knew it here. And so that whole concept of parenthood points us to the love of God between us and the whole concept of family points us to ourselves, to each other and how we love and embrace each other. 
And I think that God desires the family unit and desires the church to be a place where we can build healthy people in healthy communities. And that the church is, is like a family, but it doesn't replace the family unit. So we're going to explore 1 Timothy 5. We're going to pull this apart. We're going to do 1 to 16 to start off with. And, um, and, and just break it apart a little bit. It says, Do not rebuke the older men harshly, but exalt him as if he was your father. So I don't want you to look around and say, who's older and who do I need to exalt? But you get, you get the idea. When we're in fellowship together, treat each other with respect. Exalt the older people to the status that you would your parents or your grandparents. But treat your younger men as brothers, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So see our fellowship together as a spiritual family. Give, give those relationships the, the respect and the dignity that they deserve. We may, may not be the, the family unit that has those strong bonds that no, no matter what you do that you, you, you keep on coming back in, into, but, but there is a sense here that Paul is wanting to say, let us recognise each other deeply as something more than a community club. Something more than Rotary or Lions or the local sporting club. Let's treat each other. And it goes on, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if, you are, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn... Um, they should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even though she, while she lives Give the people these instructions so that no one might be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their own relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for the younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ they will want to marry. Thus um, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, they, but also busybodies, yes, it's in the Bible, and talk nonsense, saying things that they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes and give the energy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned and followed Satan. 
If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be a burden with, not be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, there's a lot of cultural stuff going on in here and as we've been doing our preaching prep, it's often come up, you know, it's hard to separate what is God saying and what is cultural in this letter. Um, but there's a lot of cultural stuff happening here. There's no social security back then and so uh, people had to look after themselves and look after family and it's not that too long ago that grandma lived with the family when grandpa died. Uh, some, some areas it still happens, some culture it still happens. But there was a calling upon the church and the p- church was actually known for the embracing of those who had no family whatsoever called widows. And, and in that embracing, there was an understanding that if they were to go on the widow's list, they would be cared for and provided for. But you'll see in that that long passage that there was a criteria, there was a, a standard, if you like, of what the widow had to do. They had to be, have a servant heart, they had to love Jesus, they had to worship. Now this list wasn't the only widow's list, but this list was really like a, a, a calling of a nun to give themselves just to the church and to Jesus and to do the work of the Lord and, and to do uh, nothing else and have no other um, uh, marriage relationships. And so that's Paul's teasing out of that in there, that, that a woman shouldn't be over 60 to be on the list because if she does, she'll break her vow to only serve God and go and marry again. But there's some interesting uh, subtext here that Paul is starting to say that I think is really interesting for us as the church because sometimes I think Paul is more definite here when it comes to understanding family and the church Uh, than we allow ourselves today. And and so Paul is articulating that God's idea of the family unit is still the most important unit in the world. When God created, he created male and female and made a family unit. uh, Genesis 3 says, this is the reason why a man leaves his mother and father and joins with one, uh, his wife and becomes one in flesh, the family unit. God instigated that before he instigated the, the church. It is still God's plan to see blessing flow through the family unit. And Paul's starting to address this because what God is also keen for is if the family unit breaks down, that there be a security net that enables people to still flourish despite not having a family. And so he draws some interesting lines in the sand in this text. He says that if there is a family to look after you, then they should be looking after you. If you have people in your family that you should be looking after, you should look after them. In fact, he's really quite strong to say, if you don't, then you're worse than not believing in Jesus at all, which is a really harsh statement. So what does looking after mean? Does it mean just giving them a check? I don't think so. I think looking after them is, are we in healthy relationship? Uh, Are we growing together? Are we, be, are we seeing the blessing of God flow down through our life? 
Now, all of us in our families have got that one relationship that you wish could be healed or wish would go away, don't you? Or maybe some of you are better off than me. You know, I've made it no secret that I've got a brother who just doesn't want to talk to me, doesn't want to be involved in my life whatsoever, and I've never been able to pull apart what that means. All I know in my heart is that I've got to hold nothing against him and that every time he opens the door, I've got to step through it. And the rest of the time, I get on with my life. So there's a longing in my heart, Lord, I, I wish this relationship could be different. But it can't at this point in time. And maybe you've got relationships in your family that are like that. Maybe you've got some brokenness or some things there. And what I think Paul is saying is that when we're going to look after family, we're going to continue to work towards healing and wholeness within our family unit because when a family unit is healed and whole, the blessing of God flows through it. And then he draws a line and he says, well, if the family unit is the most important thing, that doesn't mean church is not important, it just means the church has a different function. And the way that we can be brother, uh, spiritual brothers and sisters, we're not meant to take the place of the family until there is no family and then we should fill the place. And so he's saying if there are widows who don't have means of income because if you're a female who has lost their children and your husband you, and had no parents, you had nothing. You were destitute. And so you had a couple of choices. You could sell, sell your body for money or you could beg. That was it. And God was saying, no, no, no. For those people, we've got to step up and be family for. And we see all the way through, through Scripture that God is really keen for uh, the, his people to look after the, those who are widows and those who are struggling. God himself calls him, himself the father of the fatherless. That when the natural common grace cycle of family breaks apart, that's what the people of God are there for. So I want to put to you this morning that God's desire is for your family to be healthy. In fact, it's crucial that your family is healthy so that the blessing can flow down through it. And that if there are hurts, and if there are brokenness, and if there is unforgiveness, then God has a calling, I believe, upon us to do something about it. Now, you and I know that we can't change another person's heart, or I would have changed my brother's heart a long time ago. But we can move and pray and 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 be in a healthy spot to, to allow healing to happen when the time is right. But sometimes we get blurred that the role of the church is meant to be a role of the family. And it's not. God has instituted the family for care, support, security, and love. The church is there for when those things disappear. It's there for a lot of other reasons as well, but when it comes to family, that's what it is. And sometimes, and, I, and I've heard this in my ministry, 
Sometimes people will come and accuse me that the church has not cared for them or for their family the way that their family should have. And they expect the same thing of the church as they do of their family. And Paul's making a very big distinction here that it's different. But I wanted to press upon you this morning that God's plan for family is important and God's plan for church is important. And so Paul goes on in the second part of this, uh, this chapter to start talking about the church and how to be healthy as a church. It says this, The elders who direct uh, the affairs of the church well will receive uh, well are worth double honour. Some translations have double pay, but I'll just leave it there. Especially those who work in preaching and in teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle the, an oxen while it's treading the grain. Don't stop it from eating what it's, uh, what it's working for. And the worker deserves its wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove... Uh, uh, before everyone, tell off, um, give correction to, before everyone, so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Jesus Christ and the elect angels, so he wants you to really notice what he's saying, keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favouritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of uh, uh, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water. This is my, one of my favourite verses in the Bible. <laughs> and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. The sins of some are obvious, reaching a place of judgment ahead of them, while sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious and even those that aren't obvious can't uh, can't remain hidden forever. So here we have Paul then starting to articulate what it means to be a healthy church. He's pulled apart the the family thing and and the widow thing and and made a separation between what is family and what is church. Now he's saying, what is a healthy church? Well, the first thing he says is, and I don't mind this, is treat your leaders with honour. I don't mind it. And, and, and to be honest, um, that's not as silly as what it sounds. Uh, not this church, but other churches um, have a real suspicion of leadership. And, and they'll question everything the leader might want to do or say or change or do. And, and they can make it very difficult. I've, got, I've had many friends in ministry who have given up ministry in churches because the people just treated them really badly. And, and here Paul goes, you know what? Honour, encourage. Now, honour and courage, particularly in the United Church, and I found this as I was setting up a national network of evangelical churches and, and the new presbytery we were a part of. Is that as I was trying to get the new presbytery up, there was 
a suspicion about every decision that was being made and I had to stand before the, the Synod Council and give my report and, and tell them why uh, the, commi- the committee I was leading wanted to do the things that they were doing. And the questions that would come back were always suspicious. What about if something goes wrong? What about if this person doesn't behave well? And it just struck me that there's a bit of a culture in some churches, not in this one, to, um, to be suspicious that some people are always doing wrong instead of honouring and encouraging and lifting up. Now, that doesn't mean that you should be blind <laughs> and it doesn't mean that, that leaders are infallible. In fact, that's why Paul puts the next part. That if something does go wrong then don't just go on hearsay, make sure that it's, the, that's what two and three witnesses means, make sure that it's true. I had an organist in my last church that used to use the word, Barry, I've been talking to people and everyone says, and I said, who's the everyone? Oh, just everyone. Can you give me one or two names? No, I don't want to do that. It's just everyone I speak to. And I said, well, that's where the conversation in my mind ended. I nodded and smiled like the penguins from Madagascar <laughs> and got on with my day. So Paul is not saying by honouring and encouraging and blessing your leadership that they can just do whatever they want. In fact, he, in chapter 3, he gives quite a good list of the character of what a leader should be. And even in the widows, as they were serving the Lord, there's character in that as well. So it's not saying, and he's saying, in fact, if someone does behave badly, don't let it continue to behave badly. Get them up in front of the whole congregation, that would be fun, and say, Barry, you've sinned. Stop it. Now, if I have a sin worthy of doing that, I give you permission to do it. Because I don't deserve my role. See, Paul is saying, honour and encourage and, and lift up your leadership. Give them double honour, double pay, just throw it out again. But that doesn't mean that I'm infallible, the leadership is infallible. It means that correction at times will need to come. But this is one thing I've known from many years of being a part of the church. People who behave badly will continue to behave badly until they're told not to. And even leaders within the life of the church. You know it for your kids, or your grannies, don't you? That if they keep on doing the bad thing, they're going to keep on doing it until you say, enough! Put that axe down. I don't know where that came from. but So Paul is really encouraging us to say, you know, healthy leadership is about honour. Uh, sorry, healthy church is about honour and encouragement, but it's about also not letting bad behaviours go on forever and ever. My last church, one of my last churches, there was a guy who's gone uh, now, who, um, it was in a, a small country church, 
And, uh, and if someone came and sat in his seat, he would literally come and stand there and look at the people until they felt so uncomfortable that they would move. He wouldn't say anything. And, and I, had a, I had a retired minister in pastoring that congregation at the time. I said, what are we going to do about it? She goes, I don't want to do anything about it. That's just who the person is. And again, with the wisdom of age, I would say, no, 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 no. If you want your church to grow, you can't put up with people behaving badly. You've got to deal with the hurt and the, and the struggle in that person's life and why they are doing what they're doing. And lastly, Paul basically says, we don't let people behave badly because whether they do things wrong or whether they do things right, it will all come out in the wash in the end. So there's some sin that's really obvious. Everyone's going to see it. There's sin that's not obvious, but that's going to come to the light. There's good deeds that are obvious and everyone can go... It's good deeds that aren't obvious that will come to the light. Everything comes out in the wash. The truth always raises to the top. You know, and a part of being proud of the denomination I'm in is, is how they've dealt with the child abuse stuff that, of the Royal Commission, where they just took it on the chin and said, you know what, if we've done wrong, we want to apologise, we want to make it right, we don't want to hold anything back. Because all that stuff bubbled to the top. And so Paul's saying a healthy church deals with the stuff that's within its life. And so I just want to wrap this up to saying that that is God's desire for your family and for this church. Let us deal with our stuff. Let's deal with our our baggage passed down from our parents and our grandparents. Let's deal with the baggage that we've collected in the schoolyard and around us. Let us create families that are of secure and love where the blessing of God can flow. Then as a church, let us also take that health and that calling into this place. I'm someone, as you know, who likes to shoot from the hip, I'll tell you exactly what I think and I've learned over the years there's ways and ways not to do that. But the one of the things that I've never really struggled with but i found a lot of people other do is um, ha- I- I've instru- struggled, uh, I- I've never really struggled with people giving me criticism because I've always seen it as an opportunity to grow and because I've never really felt like I was particularly great at anything I took every opportunity to go you want to make me better speak into my life and I remember going up to one of my past ministers and going you know what speak into my life you know I I really want to learn he goes I don't do that and that was probably the worst criticism (laughs) you're not worth speaking into But as a church, if we can formulate healthy feedback, healthy criticism, healthy encouragement, healthy blessing, I think that we're going to live in the spirit of what Paul is saying.
So would you stand with me if you're able? And we're going to bring this baby home. I'm wondering if you want to join me. And I think you do. Into saying, God, will you make our families healthier? Will you make me a better spouse, a husband, a wife, a partner? Will you make me a better son or daughter? Will you use me to be a vehicle of, of bringing health and wholeness into my family unit? And even if your family is great, and I consider my family good. I love them and they love me and I know it and they know it. But you know what? God can always still work on me. And I'm wondering if you want to join me, God can still work on you and your family. That you open yourself up to the possibilities that if your children have drifted away from God, that God wants them home. And he wants your blessing to flow through them. And whether you will join me in wanting to see this church continue to grow healthier and healthier. So let's pray together. And I'm just going to assume that you all want in. And let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for our families. And there are some families in this room, Lord, that are incredibly broken. And there are some that have lived in the grace and the blessing passed down through generations. But we can always, Lord, be used by you as an instrument for healing and for health. And so we pray for all the families that are represented in this room and represented in our church. And Lord, will you bless them? Will you encourage them into health? Will you do miracles upon miracles in those that have drifted away from you, those that are hurt and those that are broken? Because Lord, we as your people just commit ourselves again to the concept of family. The concept that you want to bless and encourage and see health and wholeness and goodness and mercy flow. And so, loving God, bless us so that we may be a blessing to each other and to the people that you have given us. Lord, change our hearts, reveal our sins, bring to the surface that which is hidden so that we can enter into that healing and wholeness, Lord. And we, as the people of God, make a pledge to you that we want to make our families whole for the glory of your name. And the people of God said, Amen.